In a Hollywood Hills garage on Christmas morning, December 1973, a rock band prepared to record their first album, a familiar image in California at the time. It was past midnight, and the band had never recorded anything before, nor had they practiced the music they were about to produce, despite the professional sound equipment loaded and waiting. A gaggle of hippies and flower children lounged in an adjacent room, listening to the jam session over monitors. Others tried to block out the noise, sleeping in cramped bedrooms upstairs. At the front of the band was a man in a robe with long white hair and a beard. Women passed around marijuana ceremonially as the band waited for an interstellar transmission, or at least instructions from the older man. This was Father Yod. I would actually say he came in on Kahootek, <laughs> you know, in a way, as Father Yod, you know, Yehoah developing into Yehoah, and then shooting out of this world like a comet. The group around Father Yod was the Source family, a cult to some, an experiment in communal living to others. The Source family was not any different than any other cult. It had all the elements. It's just, of course, some cults are more extreme. Whatever it was, the members were there for a reason. They wanted change. They needed change. A whole new world was coming, and we all knew it. We knew that that humanity and the planet could not exist the way it's been, it was going from our parents' generations, from the 30s, 40s, 50s. And there was a mindset, not only among us, but many, many people of that time, that there was, a, there was going to be a, dis, uh, a destruction. There was going to be, um, who knew, maybe the world was going to end. The band would name their first album after Kahootek. For many, the comet underwhelmed, but it hardly mattered for the Source family who witnessed the comet's peak from inside a garage. Sometime in the fall, we're going to see the sky. A meteorite, you hear that? Comet Kahootek is on its way. We call it Starseed. Every comet is an individual which can, in principle, uh, provide new information. Visible between mid-November and late January, it will eventually be as bright or brighter than the famous Halley's Comet of 1910. I do feel that the comet, although it was not visible and as spectacular as they had thought, that it has had some effect in our atmosphere. Now, how about the economy? Uh, we're visitors on this planet Earth. We're not going to be here very long. We've got to get back in touch with the greater picture. The complexity of Father Yod starts well before he started the Source family, when he was known as Jim Baker. He killed two men, both times ruled in self-defense. The incident in 1963 was the result of a confrontation with a jealous husband of a television actress he was sleeping with. The 60s were a dark period in Baker's life, a spiral of booze and LSD, ending in the purchase of a purple Rolls Royce with the contents of the cash register of his third successful Hollywood restaurant. The dominoes fell, his wife leaving him, and his business investors seizing control of the restaurant. It was then that Baker turned to Yogi Bhajan. A former Indian customs official, Yogi Bhajan was instrumental in popularizing yoga in North America and opened the first Sikh temple in Canada. One of the yogi's students and his green card holder owned a record label that had recently signed band The Fifth Dimension and their hit medley, 
Aquarius slash Let the Sunshine In. Pisces Aquarian, who would later become one of Jim's followers, knew him well before he became Father Yod. I, I watched him actually from that time in the 60s morph more into dropping out of being, you know, a business person and that world that he had come from of the 40s and 50s and wanting to know what was happening with the hippies and, and the, the younger generation and the music. He got turned on to the music. Yogi Bhajan incorporated the popular Western astrological concept of the Age of Aquarius into his teaching, setting 2012 as the date for which his students should prepare themselves through meditation. Jim Baker would later preach the Age of Aquarius too, his followers taking on the surname Aquarian. In former Source family member Laura Guerin's experience, gurus like Bajan hold a lot of responsibility for the spread of New Age beliefs in the late 1960s. You know, you can Google, look all the swamis and gurus that came over and, and, and took advantage of that, what was going on here in the in this country at the time, where people were were seeking, you know, they were seeking alternative to our American lifestyle. Sobered up and newly enlightened by Yogi Bhajan and the vegetarian diet of the Sikhs, Baker opened a new restaurant, The Source, one of the first natural food restaurants in the United States. He placed a framed photo of the yogi in the restaurant, prompting one of his friends to ask him when he would hang a picture of himself. Baker told her he would never do such a thing. But six months later, his photo was up on the wall. The restaurant was a massive success, quickly becoming a hip Hollywood hotspot and a landmark of California counterculture. It was a one-story, homey building with wood siding that stood below a tall sign featuring an eye emerging from a pyramid and zodiac symbols. At one time or another in the late 60s and early 70s, the restaurant was visited by Goldie Hawn, Jody Mitchell, and the band Earth, Wind & Fire. The band Yes showed up once in five limos, and the restaurant was used as a location in Annie Hall. Some of these stars even knew Jim Baker personally. Steve McQueen, uh, Steve Allen, Warren Beatty, Julie Christie, they would all come to the source and greet him as an old friend. As the Source restaurant grew successful, Baker wooed a 19-year-old flower child named Robin. At the time, Robin could be found partying with Sharon Tate and troubled blues musician Graham Bond, who believed he was the son of Aleister Crowley. It was August 8, 1969, when Baker intercepted Robin hitchhiking to Sharon Tate's house. He convinced her to go with him instead to one of Yogi Bhajan's yoga classes. The next morning, Robin awoke to the news of Sharon Tate's murder by the Manson family. She took it as a sign to stay with Baker, and after three months of studying the Kabbalah, they were married by the builders of the Adidam, a school of the Western mystery tradition. When they got married, Baker was 43, and Robin was his fourth wife. Next year, Baker took a trip with Yogi Bhajan and 80 of his other followers to India. 
the yogi had begun to distance himself from the spiritual teachers he had once openly cited. The group was shuttled around India as pawns in the yogi's political games with other religious figures, culminating in a fight with their host and ending with the yogi's arrest for defrauding a man, forcing the group to flee the country. But being so close to the yogi, because he was one of the first students the yogi was training to take over an ashram, he was, he, he was allowed into the inner privacy of the whole yogi's daily life and rituals and, and his being. And he started seeing contradictions. But, you know, that wasn't enough to deter him until he started traveling with him to India and he saw some things that he did not agree with. And he wanted the yogi to take on more of a father for the new age than just being another master or guru with the Eastern lineage. Baker was disaffected by the experience, especially by the yogi's secret affairs. As soon as Baker returned to California, he proclaimed that it was his destiny to become a spiritual leader. According to former Source family member Laura Guerin, Baker envied the yogi. He wanted to be like Yogi Bhajan, who was his guru. You know, he wanted the power. He wanted the, you know, a worshipful group of people around him. And that's what Jim Baker, he just got his ego, just grew and grew and grew. Robin and Jim together constructed a belief system, picking out the parts they liked from the teachings of Yogi Bhajan, Eastern philosophers, Western mysticism, and Kabbalah. From this, they produced Ten Commandments, meant as a sort of sequel to complement the biblical commandments. Number one, obey and live by the teachings of your earthly Number two, spiritual father. Love your earthly spiritual father more than yourself. Number five, possess nothing you do not need and share Number all seven, that you have. Squander not your creative force and lust, but come together only when three vibrations of the physical, emotional, and mental are in Number ten, spiritual when these commandments have been mastered, Leave the house of your earthly spiritual father and do the work of your heavenly father. Who were these commandments for? The young rebels visiting the source restaurant. Stopping by the restaurant on a Sunday morning, you might be asked to participate in a morning meditation. Ushered into a back room was Jim Baker, clad in a tall, homemade cap covered in occult symbols. He would read a yoga nam in a slightly stilted accent, somewhere between the stereotypes of an Indian guru and a Native American medicine man. Baker's new persona came with a new name, Father Yod. Baker was a man of chronic success and perpetual comebacks, driven by his irresistible charisma. He ran four successful restaurants, was named World's Strongest Boy at age 12, lied about his age to join the military when he won a Silver Star as a Marine in World War II, and funded his restaurants with a series of bank robberies. But somewhere in there, the truth in his own legend building becomes blurred. Regardless, the stories and Baker's magnetism worked. As Father Yod, within a year he amassed enough followers to buy a mansion and form a commune. They named the mansion the Mother House, Robin being the mother of the group that called themselves the Source Family. Many of the people who joined were hippies looking for meaning in the increasingly challenging environment of Hollywood in the 1970s. But Yod was also able to recruit and break the engagement of one follower after she visited the mansion just once. 
The mansion was where Yod started his spiritual boot camp. There are many possible perspectives on the Source family. A critical view would call the Source family a cult, while a more sympathetic eye would consider it simply a New Age commune. The truth changes depending on the experience of individual members. For former member Jin Aquarian, his experience was as a student at a spiritual school. We didn't try, try to, we weren't interested in creating a cult, but you know, it was a school and we were there learning from somebody who had mastered many things that we hadn't mastered. And uh, we weren't going to likely come in contact with anyone who was as masterful as father in our lives. And so I think we all wanted to hang out with him, you know, and enjoy, you know, his uh, movement through this world. However, many members, like Laura Guerin, witnessed a different side of the Source family. There were certain specific sons that were the most loyal and most committed, and they had the most, um, you know, to talk to them, it sounded like they had the most incredible experiences because their experiences were quite different than someone, you know, like myself. This difference in experience is something that Isis Aquarian has come to terms with in recent years. Apparently, we all were on our own journey with our own thread with that journey and our own thread with that soul known as Father Yod. We all had our own individual destiny and karma with him. And that realization freed so many of us to this day in the Source family. You know, we don't have to fight with each other. We don't have to disagree. Everybody can have their own opinion because that was their own journey. That was their own experience. Spiritual boot camp entailed waking up at 4 a.m. and standing in a cold pool before exercising. They would take a single inhale of marijuana in the morning and eat raw food. This sounds not unlike modern health trends and retreats, and for some, it provided positive structure and discipline. For Robin Baker, who is regularly ill, the dietary guidance of Father Yod improved her health. But the diet was also used to make the young women stay thin to Father Yod's aesthetic desires. These rules were self-enforced, though, and visitors and family members came and went as they pleased. Well, we could have left. Any one of us could have left. And there was no negativity. If you wanted to leave, you could leave, you know. So it was not, like, trapped, and we didn't do drugs. We only smoked sacred herb, one toke in the morning, together in, in ritual and in meditation. But members were asked to turn over their earthly belongings when they joined and were kept too busy to daydream or dissent, a common tactic of cult leaders and of modern society in general. Members could leave at any time, but if that meant leaving behind friends and walking back into the world empty-handed, the choice was not so easy. You know, you form very, you know, close bonds. You know, and, and it, it gets to the point where you emotionally think that you're dependent on that cult because that's one of the things that Jim Baker would constantly warn against. Anybody leaving the, what he called the circumvent force of the family, you know, terrible things would happen to them. So everyone had that in their mind that, oh my God, I can't leave, you know. So what I'm saying is a lot of us, myself included, stayed till the very bitter end, literally, because we had been there within the group for years. 
And when Father Yod introduced polygamy, many members did walk away, especially those who were already in monogamous marriages. Yod took several wives, some underage. For some of the wives, like Isis, this arrangement worked well. We were sisters before we were his wives, so we had a friendship and a bond among us to begin with. We all knew what everybody was doing, and we all shared, and we all agreed to it. It wasn't an issue for us, and it came up like with uh, Hugh Hefner and Playboy. He could have six, nine women at one time, and nobody said anything. It was more difficult for Robin, however. She called out Yo to his face, calling him a dirty old man on a lust trip. But still, she stayed by his side, giving birth to his child. She went into labor for 22 hours in the mother house, surrounded by members of the family. The child was born with an umbilical cord caught around his neck, unbreathing. Yod said an incantation, breathed into the child's mouth, and resuscitated him, producing a piece of paper with the name Solomon on it. The entire incident was recorded on film. This was when Isis joined the group after she was asked to come film the birth. Home births were illegal at the time. But Solomon's birth was not the only child born into the family, nor the only one to have complications. More than 50 children were born into the Source family, but because Father Yod's belief system went against seeking professional medical treatment, at least two infants died of easily treatable illnesses. In one case, a member left the family permanently so he could get his young son antibiotics to treat a high fever. Still, the Source family gave meaning and guidance to many of its members, who still see value in the teachings of Father Yod to this day. While not political, there was an ideological project at work. You know, we, we were just there to set an example of how anyone could live our lifestyle if they wanted to. Even the critical former members tend to agree that the early days of the mother house were a positive experience in their lives. Yeah, the early days when I first joined in 1970, when the source was at its height, well, yeah, we all, you know, we all lived in this huge mansion. We had our own rooms. We had, everything was paid for. Everything, you know, we, I worked, a, you know, I worked in the restaurant a few hours. But it was an idyllic um, sort of lifestyle. It was at the father house where the situation turned darker. Nothing was really as uh, in the limelight or in the eye of humanity as much as the Source family being in Hollywood and on Sunset Boulevard, you know, having a band that played around, you know, in town. The family gained the attention of local authorities and their neighbors as it became clear that there were over 100 people living in the mansion, many of them underage girls. The Manson family murders had occurred in the same city very recently, heightening the scrutiny on the Source family. You know, and plus because we were we were over a hundred people, we couldn't keep running to institutions of society because they would have broken us up. We were we were completely together illegally for seven years. Not only illegally by you know, uh, municipal laws and codes, but illegally by health department standards. 
After a year at the mother house, the Source family moved to a house in the hills called the Father House, a fitting name change as Yod elevated his own importance to the group. Bunks and cubbies were built to accommodate over 100 people that were living in a three-bedroom, three-bathroom home. The family members legally changed their surname to Aquarian and their first names to symbolic spiritual terms. Despite touting free love and open relationships, the family had strict, if non-traditional, gender roles, and homosexual relationships were not allowed. You know, this class system formed where really the people that got the the women that got the best and the first of everything to start went to Jim Baker and then his immediate and then Makushla. She was elevated to this illustrious cause, position because Jim Baker basically, uh, you know, uh, transferred all his most of his attention then to her and saw her as called her designated her as being his mother angel. And so even though Robin Baker was still next to his side, Jim Baker's entire Everything was focused around then Makushla. So here then you have these two, you know, they were like the hierarchy. And then, and then, and then it kind of went down descending order of these women that became Jim Baker's, his women. And so, and then when he impregnated three of the women, Robin and Aquariana and Prism, well, then it became even more like his children were viewed as, you know, like the illustrious chosen, the seed of Jim Baker's loins. And so all of that created this little hierarchy within the source that where they, pretty much Jim Baker's women got best of everything. Uh, there was a hierarchy. I never thought there was a hierarchy. I never thought being his women or being the council put us uh, above anybody else. I mean, we were all sharing the same everything. But a lot of people didn't feel that way. So the, it, it, it depends on the individual. There were issues, and everybody had their issues, whatever they were, to, to experience and to, to amend or figure out or work out or get whatever they needed from it. A council of Father Yod's favorite women members ran the house day to day, which, according to Garen, created a hostile and competitive environment. Newer recruits were put in charge of raising the children. The last thing you wanted to do was to be called before the council, because that meant you were probably being reprimanded for something. Because the council of women, they, yeah, they were like the police. They would c kick people out. At some point, people were assigned numbers loosely in the order they had joined. It was at the father house that Yod began to introduce sexual magic practices, taken from the teachings of Aleister Crowley a topic that is explored more in another episode. These practices are a major point of contention within former family members, as not all members experienced the rituals, if they were aware of them at all. Yod would order different women to perform sexual rituals with himself or other men. Not all the women were ordered to perform kadash with multiple men, and not all the men, a lot of the, the sons probably were clueless. Maybe they didn't know, or maybe they're just over time have forgotten, or just, again, when you attach a, a spiritual significance to something, well, then Jim Baker could do no wrong. You know, in their mind, he was, you know, this chosen leader of the new age.
Around this time in 1973, Yod began preaching about the coming of the comet Kahutek. I believe he considered it a thought projection from God's mind, in God's mind, the mind of the universe, uh, that it, it had information, that it was sharing, and he associated it with kind of a gift of peace. He was changed. He felt different. We all saw it, and we all changed, actually. It was like a, a morphing of the whole family energy and an, and an evolutionary process that all of us were going on, and we, we, we changed. However, Garen thinks the importance placed on Kahutek was more arbitrary. You know, it was like a comet or a star appeared. There has to be some significance. So the same thing with the comet or anything. There's some spiritual significance, especially as it relates to the source family. And so there's all those incorporations of different phenomena that just plays into the whole belief system. And so that, that was just part of it. Yod was still making enough money off the source restaurant to sustain 100 people at the father house. The restaurant was run by members of the family who were paid in room and board. In 1973, with Kahutek arriving in a few months, he gave Octavius Aquarian a budget of $30,000 to set up a recording studio in the garage. So Comet Kahutek, the father, was, you know, it was like he was being, the, you know, an angel or, you know, the chariot of God or something coming. And it changed him. He tuned into it like crazy, and and then he had us go in the studio and uh, channel, because we didn't rehearse anything. We didn't know what key we were going to play in or what we were going to do, and he just said, you know, to get in your get in your positions, turn your instruments on, then go into into the silence and be still, and then. Isis and Osiris would walk around with a tray of hashish or, or sacred herb and serve every one of the musicians. And, and then we would hold our toque for six seconds. And then whenever something came through, usually we waited for Father to cue us. And uh, he, you know, we just started. And you can hear it when you listen to it that, you know, I think some instruments, I think one of the keyboards of the organ started doing something that he picked up on right away. And so a painting in the air, you know, a sonic painting was taking shape as we were all listening and interpreting. And then each of us would start playing something to harmonize with what preceded and and it all, you know, came in that way. Projection from the only one. It's for your protection that it has
we really were, we felt like spiritual babies, and we were in kindergarten as such. So when something like Kahootek hit or a comet, it was like we were paying attention to it. We were trying to figure it out. And Father was very intuitively, and he loved music, and he just went, I'm going to spontaneously, let's go into the band room. And nothing was rehearsed, and let's see what the comet wants us to, to understand and do, and and what what is it about. After Kahutek passed, Father Yod declared himself Yehoah, or God. The Source family band was named Yehoah 13, their first album, Kahutek. It was almost entirely improvisational. It was recorded on Christmas Eve and was part sermon, part extraterrestrial channeling, Art recruitment tool. And so it brings you into the present. It brings you into the very present moment where you can't think of anything. You know, you could have a, an egotistical meltdown. I don't know what to play. You know what I mean? You know. But because you're being relied on, there's nowhere to run. You know, you can't just throw your guitar down and run out of the room like, I can't play this. You, you're forced with figuring out how to play something to whatever's coming through, which means, you know, you're, you're expanding, you know, your dimensions. You're reaching into parts of your consciousness you didn't even know existed to come up with a, a part to play. The album was sold at the Source restaurant next to books for sale that had been surrendered by members of the family as a condition of initiation. Father Yod may have wanted to be a rock star, trying and failing to land record deals and promoting the album to the somebodies who walked into his Hollywood restaurant. But the music served another purpose too. It was a message or a document. But the music is carrying, you know, the magic of, you know, of what we were really about. And he knew that that was going to be the case when he made all of our vinyls. So he wanted to preserve his spirit uh, in the highest way that he knew and he felt. And he was a, a great lover in, you know, of music, of all, you know, mainly classical and jazz and some rock and roll, but not much, or the rock and roll, but he loved all of our music and our songs and, you know, our flower child and hippie music and, and uh, magic, you know, and uh, he wanted to be one of us, you know, but he was, he was so masterful in so many ways and so powerful and wise that he couldn't just be one of us. The band played a few times at local high schools and colleges, using the music as a recruitment tool. Yod thought the music would spread his message. Because he was, he was just sure that Yehoah 13 and him at the head of it, the helm, pounding his kettle drum, you know, they were going to bring in new people. You know, he thought that was all going to be done to the music. Well, it was just he was a showman that gave him, and it kept him from being bored. While the comet was a disappointment for many, for the believers of the Source family, its underwhelming arrival was irrelevant, for the shared importance they imbued to the comet was far more impactful. 
The simple album cover boldly proclaims Kahootek in red finger paint against a white background. It was an acknowledgement and a recognition of, of change itself for this planet. It was the recognition of cosmic forces inter, of, of different dimensions. And that in itself is a morphing of your own evolutionary process. I felt like we got a little bit more out of kindergarten with all of it. We became a little bit wiser and more mature. For Jin Aquarian, Kutek is one of the best and most insightful albums they recorded. Uh, there's a, a raw innocence to it, for one thing. And then the second thing is, the more important thing is that Father gives a lot of wisdom in it, in, uh, in what he's singing about. And, uh, you know, he, between Kuhute contraction and expansion, there's pretty much everything, you know, that he taught on a cosmological level, you know, about who we are, how who we are and how we need to be now, you know, to get to get through this next period of of society, you know, we need to really raise our frequency to a higher love frequency and conscious awareness frequency and not so much uh, you know, involved in the the past and where we've been and what we've done, but move on and let's raise our frequency to the highest that we can in every way we can. It was not long before the Source family moved again. Father Yod sold the Source restaurant, their only source of income, and flew everyone to Hawaii. The goal was to set up a commune and retreat or another restaurant, but the community there did not receive them with the open arms the family hoped for. It was our downfall. Nobody knew us. They thought we were the Manson family because we were in a large group. We had long hair and we wore robes. We never thought, oh my God, how somebody would perceive us. We did not blend in. We did not fit in. And we did not have the, uh, apparently, <laughs> the wisdom to even think about that and do that. We should have done that. We didn't. They quickly moved back to California, but returned to an equally hostile San Francisco, living out of vans and a rundown mansion they called the Cat Lady House. According to some members, Jim Baker tried to break up the group in San Francisco, but the remaining members were either too committed or simply had nowhere else to go. Around this time, a new musical project cropped up in the family as they busked around the city, playing music and selling honey. This band, called Breath, was led by a few of the more skilled musicians. And this time, the music industry bit. But they only wanted the band, not a whole commune. So the breath musicians, they, because we all did what Jim Baker decided, you know. And so Jim Baker said no. When A&M wanted to fly the breath band members to L.A. to record, they wanted to sign them. But Jim Baker, so... so he essentially just kind of ruined, in hindsight, the career of Tim and Les. No, sweethearts, I'm really encouraged. I feel very strongly that somebody is going to buy our 200,000 approximately um, contract, sale contract. 
for 125,000. That's what I got. Happy day when that happens. where they found better success on the big island, but they no longer had the restaurant to support them. So we all, we did run the restaurant because we all had to work in it, but it was our livelihood and that's what supported everyone. But when it was still relatively small, it was a cash cow, you know, we could afford to all live uh, comfortably. Father again tried to break up the family. According to Isis, he'd had enough of the lifestyle and of playing at God. He began finding outlets of escape. One of the members was getting into hang gliding. So one windy day, Yo decided to try it. A characteristically risky choice for Jim Baker. He kind of said at one point, well, I guess I have to leave then. Nobody's going to leave. I have to leave to end this. Because he said, I'm done. He said, I'm done. I really am done. And um, when, he, when he went off the cliff in a hang glider himself, yeah, he didn't have any lessons, but he went in a hand glider. It's not like he committed suicide. It's not like he went off on a cliff and jumped off. And he said, I'm leaving this up to God. He crashed on a beach, and his followers carried him back to their home base. As he was lying injured in a tent, he asked one of them if he should seek medical attention. Following his own teachings, she advised against it. He died soon after. The Source family tried to stay together, but as soon as Father Yod died, the group began to dissolve. We tried to keep the family together uh, with Makushla leading it, and it just it didn't work because everybody was there for him. We weren't even there for each other. You know? Some of us would have never even met each other or liked each other or agreed to ever even live with each other if it wasn't under that circumstances. The family had recorded 65 albums, although only a handful were ever pressed. So I think Father just knew he just needed to get as much recorded and as much taught as he could before it was going to be, you know, him transitioning and and, and all of us transitioning. And uh, so we all pretty much went back into society after the family broke up. And it was a hard, hard fall for many of us to come back into this world uh, after having been in the one we were in. A few years after the comic Kahootek disappeared, so did the Source family. A portal opened in the 60s and 70s, and we stepped through it. You know, I mean, it was just a, like a comet. It was a flash in the pan of humanity, but the flash communicated so much information to future generations who weren't even born yet, but the incoming data from that flash took root in the vinyls and in the, in the celluloid. 
for now, the vocal members of the Source family want the next generation to learn from them. For some, the message is about the danger of charismatic cult leaders. For others, it's about the possibilities of alternative living and expanding the consciousness of society. This December will be the greatest month that I can remember. What Comet Kahootek left behind is written and produced by London Homer Wombing. Music by Naramata. You can download the soundtrack at naramata.bandcamp.com. Additional voices and support provided by Madison Volley. Check out the five other episodes to learn about the countercultural oddities left in Kahootek's wake. And if it's to be, this record will go out in time.